Okay, so we heard earlier from the teaching that we explored just briefly that there are these five unreliable ways of knowing, even though we have to use them, um, which are faith, approval, oral tradition, reasoning, and reflective acceptance, or intuition. And the Buddha said, well, this is our normal way of operating, but it's not totally reliable, as we know. We know from our experience. And then he gave, I won't read it again, but he gave kind of a path. And I don't know if you heard, but in in that path, a bunch of those factors are there. Like you start by having faith in a teacher, and then you're the Dharma. And from there, you reflect on the Dharma and decide that it makes sense to you. So there's some logic and some intuition. You use basically a lot of these. Um, but the point of using them is to inspire practice and then that's what leads to what he calls the discovery of truth the discovery of a reliable truth so there's another sutta that um, talks about this in a little bit different way and it's a little more well known so I wanted to just touch on that and then we'll have an opportunity if if any questions have come up this morning so there's a little story associated with this there's a uh, kind of a border town in the Buddha's time and this border town was the site of a lot of trade and people coming through and a lot of spiritual teachers came through and each one said what I teach is the truth and all those other guys are wrong <laughs> and after several of them had come through and said this the people would like both you know, we don't really know what to believe um, all, they all sound pretty good and they all say they're the one So the Buddha comes next, and they say, "Well, which of these should we believe?" And you know, these are so these are not Buddhists; they're not people that are followers of the Buddha. But they sense that he had some wisdom, so they said, "Well, how can we tell?" And these are the Kalamas, the name of the people. Um, And so he says, "Of course, you are uncertain, Kalamas. Of course, you are in doubt. When there are reasons for doubt, uncertainty is born." So he says it's normal that this is how you would feel in such a situation. So then he gives them some advice. And he says, in this case, Kalamas, don't go by reports, by legends, by traditions, by scripture, by logical conjecture, by inference, by analogies, by agreement through pondering views, by probability, or by the thought, this contemplative is our teacher. So it's a longer list of things that he says don't use. And we may recognize in there some of the ones that we like to use. Um, You know, there are things related to tradition and scripture and faith in the teacher, um, and also our own views, our logic, our inference by probability. (laughs) This is most likely to be true, (laughs) therefore. You know, so... um, But again, he doesn't leave them there. He then says, when you know for yourselves that these qualities are unskillful, these qualities are blameworthy, these qualities are criticized by the wise, these qualities, when adopted and carried out, lead to harm and suffering, then you should abandon them. And then he gives the flip side a little later, and he says, when you know for yourselves that these qualities are skillful, these qualities are blameless, 
These qualities are praised by the wise, and when adopted and carried out, they lead away from suffering to peace and happiness. Then you should develop them. So it's very practical. He says, um, you have to know for yourself somehow. And that the, basically the proof is in the pudding. You know, you do it when adopted and carried out, and it leads toward suffering or it leads away from suffering. And he says, and you can know that. He kind of empowers them at the same time. He says, you can know whether something is leading toward or away from suffering. Now, I want to add a little caveat to this in that people sometimes read this sutta, um, and they hear, don't go by tradition, by scripture, by this contemplative is our teacher, etc. And so they, and then, you know, and then it says, when you know for yourselves this is what's true, then you do it. And, and they take it to be kind of the, Tanjeff calls this the carte blanche for following one's own sense of right and wrong. He says that's not actually, it's a little more subtle than that, a little more rigorous than that is actually what he says but we'll say it's a little more subtle than that. So, um, it's true that we don't follow traditions simply because they're traditions, right? A lot of traditions are kind of weird, like why is it that you always have to have rutabagas on Thanksgiving? I don't know. At some point everybody realizes, you know, nobody actually likes rutabagas in the family, but we've always done it this way. So that's kind of a simple example, but... You know, we don't need to follow reports such as historical accounts or news because the source might not be reliable. One's own preferences, you know, tend to reinforce what we already like and dislike, and we know that doesn't quite work because that's why we're doing spiritual practice. So that's also maybe not reliable. Um, And yet, there's this little caveat that says, when these things are criticized by the wise or when they're praised by the wise. That one little phrase that's in the two descriptions that he gives reminds us that there is actually, there is still some context to this. It's not all me and, you know, what I think and don't think. There is a cultural sense. There is an understanding that some people are wiser than others and uh, that we gain something by listening to those who are wise. Now, granted, how do you know, right? So, you know, there's still that. Um, And that's why, of course, we have to practice for ourselves in the end. But I just offer this as the um, kind of dual test for reliability. Does it actually work in your practice that this leads apparently away from suffering? Oh, I seem to be suffering less. This is good. I need. This is a good practice for me. And you might check with a teacher or someone whom you consider wise uh, as to whether uh, that's part of the total picture. It can be very useful, actually, because there can be things that seem to work initially, and 200 yards down the line, they don't work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then you can go to a wise person and say, this seems to be working and it's not anymore, and maybe you can get a little direction. Uh, so just, and just to be aware also that we have cognitive bias. And you don't have to be a psychologist to know that we have some perce- way that we perceive, way that we see the world, and it's not totally clear, <laughs> and it's not totally objective, and it's not totally wise, because that's where we're at. And so I feel that the Buddha had some appreciation for this predicament that we're in of not 
being wise but wanting to become wiser and how do we do that and he gives us a little bootstrapping kind of path where whatever stage we're at we have enough wisdom to get to the next stage that's what I hear in this is that there are ways that you can take where you are now and get just a little bit wiser you're wise enough to get a little wiser from where you are and then from that vantage point things look a little different and you're maybe still not completely wise but you know enough to get to the next at the uh, Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts um, they have trails through the woods and I like hiking there I mean of course you can follow the trail but sometimes the trail is not super clear like right after a snowfall we don't have that problem here but right after a snowfall or when there's a lot of leaves also in the fall trail might be a little unclear but they also have um, blazes on the trees and you know there's like a red dot on this tree and then on the next tree a little farther up the trail and I noticed at one point that I I found it kind of fun just to just to follow the blazes and I can't you can't actually see all the blazes but whatever tree you're standing at you can see the next blaze Mm -hmm. and so you go there and then from there you can see the next one it's it's set up pretty well whoever did those blazes Um, so sometimes I feel like practice is kind of like that and that's um, that's how we slowly discover the truth and the reliability and the trustworthiness And we're going to talk a lot more this afternoon about what is reliable and what what this actually means to bootstrap ourselves along. What do we place faith in? How do we reflect on the teachings so that we can jostle ourselves out of the unwiseness that we have from our very position of unwiseness? And it works. Um, But we're, we're going to talk about that in a little bit more. So... So maybe those of you who are interested in, who are more interested in the trust part, we'll, we'll touch into some of that definitely, even as we stick, feel like the morning was a little more truth. But I'll, um, I think I'll stop for here for now and just ask, you know, this can be a period if any questions have come up from the teachings we've had so far, or from your practice. I hope what you've been doing in the sitting and the walking has maybe started to inform your sense of, oh yeah, this is this is how it is right now. Are there any questions or comments? Yeah. This whole concept of the teacher um, is very confusing to me. Okay, in what way? Well, you know, there's like the insight meditation and, I mean, if you're involved in doing that form of practice, is it, are you sort of supposed to find a teacher within that community? Um, what, how do you know someone's wise? Um, mm-hmm. Because they study things and put some time into it, but does that make them necessarily wiser than someone I might meet who's been around the block a whole bunch of times and Absolutely. has a lot of yeah. insight and wisdom and um, I'm kind of confused about that. Those are great questions. I don't know that we can answer them definitively for you because some of that comes from your own sense of how to practice. But uh, the fact, first of all, the fact that you're asking questions like that, who is wise and how does this tradition fit into that, really good. 
So I'll, I'll, there's a bunch of things there, but I'll, maybe I'll pick out a few of them that stood out for me. Um, one way to check if someone is wise in our tradition is to check their behavior and their speech and notice whether it seems to be affected by greed, hatred, or delusion. You know, if you see somebody who is acting in a way that seems out of alignment with what you consider valuable, then that maybe that person's not someone who can guide you. Um, so that's kind of a simple objective test. There's also the test of the heart. You know, does does what this person says and how they act resonate for me in some way? Does it awaken something in me that's meaningful? Because whether or not we know it, we're coming with questions. I asked earlier and it was real quiet. We had one, but you know, there's something in us that is drawing us. And I think we can trust that in some way. I feel looking back on my path so far that there's something to it that's moving that I'm not always it's a it's aware of something different than my little mind <laughs> is in tune with. So there's some resonance for that. Different traditions express and embody practices in different ways and um, a given tradition is a set of practices and or in some religions there are beliefs included I wouldn't say that's so true in Buddhism that has a certain self-consistency to it so and it usually offers a certain result or inspiration so you know in Buddhism we're offered the possibility of being free from suffering that's how it's talked about and so if that aim resonates then there's some need to engage within that system you want that result you do that practice in a way Um, you know and, and the things that Christianity offers are different and maybe just as valuable depending on your heart maybe a union with God something like that Uh, and so it's hard to imagine that you could get a particular result that's in a certain tradition without doing the things that that tradition has created as a self-consistent system however there's something that transcends traditions I don't know that it's always the same thing so I'm not. I'm being very careful not to make philosophical statements. Um, they say the way that is described as the way is not the way, or something like that. Have <laughs> you heard that one? Or if you can, you know, the anything that can be described in words as a concept and therefore is not not the thing itself don't confuse the finger pointing at the moon with the moon that kind of thing so one of the more subtle traps that the mind can fall into is placing replacing truth with concept You're going to work with this again and again. Uh, 
Because we have to hear the teachings and we have to reflect on the teachings and we have to do the practices. But none of those things in and of themselves are the moon. None of those things are the moon. (coughs) And so a little bit like this Kalama Sutta, there's a temptation to pick and choose what we like. I like this from Tibetan Buddhism. I like this from Insight Buddhism. I still like my Jewish roots. Um, And sometimes that works. Because no system is ideal for everyone. But just don't (coughs) beware of the mind replacing the the reality, the real thing with some idea of it or some practice of it or with its own idea of it I like this, I like this, I'm going to gather I don't know very hard to uh, to answer your question definitively so I've talked around it a lot I hope highlighting the areas where we can get trapped as we wend our way through this confusion. I think if you don't feel a little bit of confusion, you might not be questioning enough. So. <laughs> She's got it. <laughs> and here we all are. I saw your hand next. I also see yours. Yeah. Um, you just said something that made me think about um, the ideas of what I'm perceiving as the truth. But I know that you had brought up the idea of the cognitive bias and and I'm feeling that come into play a lot of times. So how do I play with that and knowing what the truth is versus my own my own perception of it that I perception, know is yeah. jaded? Yeah. Um, so the way this is uh, one way to to work with this is. Um, to be aware of the mental process of you're calling it perception I would say that in Buddhism we use the word perception a little bit differently and you're building in also something that we call mental formations or the storytelling of the mind the construction of what we think to be happening in the mind and it's not that that's wrong your mind is going to do that some people think oh I have to eliminate this and but you know you have to see a chair as a chair you have to have an idea of how to start your car and drive home this is very useful and functional in the world but can you see it as just that as you know this is my mind operating meditation is so precious because we've simplified away the need to do the need to be the need to have a certain relationship to things and we can really strip down and watch the mind operating so that we're not as fooled by that process going on in the mind. And it is a process. So we just see, like for example, um, it's possible to be sitting very peacefully and just aware of the breath, say, for a few breaths, and then suddenly the thought of lunch, or <laughs> my boyfriend, or and, and you can see it wasn't there, and then it is there. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> and instead of worrying so much about the content or the object, 
oh no, lunch, that's greed, I'm not supposed to think about that. You know, you're thinking about something at that moment. Instead, feel the difference. Oh, this is the mind that didn't have the thought of lunch, and then there's this energy. You can actually feel the energy of a thought forming, if one is looking for it, paying attention to it. And then you feel, this is a mind that's now aware of something else. You don't even have to, don't go into the lunch and the boyfriend or whatever. Look at the process, not the content. And it's not, and, and it just helps us see through that a little bit. Because it's not wrong that the mind does that. That's how it works. The question is whether we're fooled by it. And freedom is not being fooled. Yeah? So that's a place to start, is mindfulness of how the mind is working. One more? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how to phrase this, but one thing that came up for me is uh, there's been aspects of my life that I feel are not trustworthy, but while I was meditating, I realized that I think some of it is I just don't want to admit the truth. Like, at an intellectual level, I know things are this way, but there's still something inside of me that wishes things were different. Absolutely, that's how it is. Yeah. <laughs> what can I do? I mean, it's like, unlike your story, like, I didn't feel happy knowing that. It just made me really sad, and I still wish things were, were different. Then you feel that longing or that wish in the heart that things were not, are not the way they actually are. Um, this happens on so many levels. You're, you're not pointing to something unusual, and it's, it's really what we practice with. I mean, we start at the level of, you know, I, I wish I had a better job, or, and I don't, or I wish that my friend hadn't said that to me the other day. It was really hurtful, or something like that. Um, things that are part of, you know, the real reality of our life. But it goes, and, it, and those, these layers go down, you know. I wish I weren't aging. You know, my body is changing in ways that I don't have control over, and I know which direction it's going. <laughs> you know, I wish I weren't going to die. You know, um, or if that's not close for you, I wish my partner who is in hospice isn't going to die. You know, but they are. And again and again, we run into the way things are unfolding and our relationship to that. And it's often one of, I wish it were different. And this is pointed to, actually, as dukkha, as out of alignment, wanting things to be other than they are. This is, this is it. <laughs> this is the suffering. And it happens in big and small ways. And... The compassion to even start looking at that difference, that little delta between what's happening and my relationship to it, even that courage and that compassion is so important. There's such a difference between doing that and not doing that, that everybody in this room is already doing a lot. And if we're not ready to look at a certain gap like that, it's also compassionate to be okay with that. You know, we can say, this one, I need to have a break from right now. You know, I'm not ready to process that. We go where we can. 
because we're not ready to let go of everything completely. Maybe you are. If you are, please do. (laughs) (laughs) For many of us, it's a process. And we work with what's at the surface. You know, what's presenting now? Can I be with that? Because it's the relationship where the freedom or the suffering is. Um, And don't worry, when that relationship is made right, the next one will arise. (laughs) Um, And I'm speaking somewhat generally, but if there are specific areas that we need to look at, then that can be a great time to talk with a teacher and learn specific practices or specific ways to work with something in our life as we slowly come into alignment to knowing what's true and what's reliable and being there with it. It's not easy. It's a process. So I think we'll we'll stop there for the morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.